listening to another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. I'm excited because, um, you know, I, I just got a snap vision of the future. Uh, when Sam was singing, uh, you know, with Vaya there, his beautiful daughter, I just thought, Lord, I see that for me. You know, I just see that for me and hope. It's just going to be amazing. <laughs> What's funny is out of the two people in our family, we, we can't sing. We just, we just can't. But we try. And, um, and so I'm looking forward to next year, guys. Seriously, it's going to be out of this world. It's going to be something else. And, um, but you ready to come encouraged, to be encouraged this morning? How good is this? Melbourne Cup weekend, and we're just here having the most amazing time. Uh, what in the city that we live in? Melbourne, the most livable city in the world. That's a badge. That's a badge. I wear that, you know. When we go back to New Zealand and, and, and see different people, they're like, oh, Melbourne. They, oh, you live in Melbourne. The most livable city in the world. And they're like, oh, how do you... Is it how many years running? I say five, but I'm... I'm seven. What a holy number that is. Uh, seven years in a row. Completion, people. Completion. Completion. Uh, the most livable city in the world. You know, the reason is one of the most livable cities in the world is because it's one of the most diverse cities. So you've got to go through a whole lot of uh, different requirements to actually be eligible to be a livable city. Um, not only do people have to live there, uh, but there's other things that has to enable. And one of the things that it has to enable is that it is able to accommodate for a, a real wide, diverse group of people. And I, can, I remember this moment. I often think about it when I, was, I, I drive just on the other side of the city where there's some of those beautiful parks uh, there. And I remember driving there when I'd only been here a couple of weeks and I'm driving around and all of a sudden I look ahead and there's these people, uh, there are only a few people in medieval gear, right? Medieval gear, like, and I'm like, it's summer one, that's hot, that's hot, hot. Like they're in medieval gear with swords and helmets and stuff and they're walking down and I get closer going, this is out of control. But who knows that when there's more than just one medieval person, you know, there's, there's safety in numbers. I come around the corner, there's about 500 people. I didn't know there was that many people that wore armour. Like 500 people in this massive group. I'm waiting for a horse to just go on through with like a, a javelin. You know, I'm just waiting. It's unbelievable. And I just thought, how awesome is that? How great that people of all different cultures, all different passions, all different flavours, all different styles can get together because when you gather together, something awesome happens. See, we use the word diversity to encapsulate expansion, to, to, to enable there to be more inclusion. We, we use the word diversity so that it opens up the ability to include and to interact with a greater group of people. And Joel and the team have put together an awesome spoken word that talks about this great thing, this great quality called diversity. But at the same time, what's crazy is in diversity, often it, rather than it being the thing that creates greater unity, it actually causes there to be disunity. It causes there to be division. It causes there to be me against you because I'm like this, you're like that. I have this, you have that. I want this, you want that. You eat spaghetti out of a can, uh, we make it by hand. You know, like there's diversity, there's differences. Enjoy this amazing video. I know you'll love it. We often use the word diversity to expand, include, or welcome others, no matter the dimension. The exploration of differences in status, 
generations, creed, gender, ideology, yet the institutionalized rhetoric deeply embedded has served only selected few in eras gone by. We're called to question and found wanting in the misused and misconstrued definition of diversity. Perverse pretense, deceptive ideology, favoring political correctness at the base to discriminate, resurgence of racism, redefining of refugees, legal and illegal immigration, politicization and politicization of community, urban to ethnic dwellings. We as we are, are a slippery concept of social statistical exercises. Consolidating complexity and shared social harmony. The unbalanced scale tips in favor of governing authorities. Our reality may differ, but our rights don't. Our social, religious, and political affiliation may differ, but our value as human doesn't. It is we, as we are, both better and worse. Irreconcilable differences and conflict, intolerance and disharmony instilled, deeply in the fallen of humanity. But we must define and defend our peace. Eliminate preferentialism where dreams may come true for some, while for others it's a slippery nightmare. The world is a university of diversity under one God. He crossed over and carried his cross, intersecting divine demonstration, dissolving discrimination. Aim to eradicate poverty of the spirit, mind, and soul, invading the chaos of prejudice by reconciling peace and harmony hardening hostility and division. He beautified diversity, demonstrating differences can reign, unifying languages to belong and believe in life. Uniqueness to know he's called us to be one, look out for one another. We are in one another's favor. He bridge intersected the differences to celebrate cultures, for the strangers to become a friend, for the sick to find comfort, for conflicts to dissolve, for disabled and prostitute be honored and pardoned, for the rich to share, for the lonely to find a family, and for the homeless to return home, for our choices to eliminate prejudice. Dynamic diversity, unifying cultures in chaos, yet tapping its richness, celebrating one another and to love others' differences. Diversity is a world of splurging color a mystery of mighty resounding wave, a garden of explicit wonder, complex in mechanism, yet weaving through in strength. We are diversity, complex, but yet we weave through in strength. And in that, we found that there is nothing that is impossible. Yeah. So I say, breathe in and celebrate. Awesome. Come on, put our hands together. <laughs> Joelle wrote that, by the way, that whole piece. And, um, you know, I would have helped her. Um, really? Except she needs no help, you know. <laughs> See, what's amazing is that diversity identifies the things that are different. But the truth is, is we are more alike than we even give credit. See, Joelle and I, we're, you could easily look at us and say, well, there's so many differences. Now, obviously, we've got the same skin colour, but other than that, she's female, I'm, not sure about I, that. I'm male. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, you know, she's got rhythm. I, I have... There's amazing diversity. There's great difference. 
Preach, white boy, preach. <laughs> but what's amazing is that in all of our differences, in all of our differences, in the things that we like and the music taste that may differ, in all of our differences, it makes up less than 1%. We are more 99% the same than we are at all different. Yet we are so quick to point out the things that we're not. We look to find the things that they aren't. We're like, oh, you love music? Me too. What kind of music? Oh, that ain't music. We we have a common ground, but then we're quick to find the ground that's not common and use that as a method to remove our proximity. And uh, I, I I just love that in all of us, there's something that causes us to actually not look at the differences because it can't be put down to differences, to not look at what we don't have, because it can't be put down to what we don't have. But there's something in all of us, there's things in all of us that we all have the same. So can we give Joelle a great hand? And um, thanks so much. And I'm going to have help uh, today from a few of our great church members who are going to share their story and just the the amazing way that um, God has intersected in their lives. But I wanted to ask the question of us all. What is the thing that if you took all the material stuff away, if you took all the social status away, if you took what the media would say, you took what the politicians would say, you took everything away, what would you say that we all have in common? Doesn't matter what nation you're brought up in, doesn't matter uh, your social status, what are things that we all as humanity crave? I need your help in this. I'm not going to answer the question myself. It is not rhetorical. This is your turn. What are the things that we all crave? Love. The first thing we declare is we all crave love. What else do we crave? Food. Absolutely. We all crave food. From the moment you pop out, you're after it. You want food, right? What else? Shelter. Sense of security. Hope. Arnold, brilliant. Hope. Acceptance. Acceptance. We want to be accepted. We want love. We want the sense of value. We want identity. We we, we want the security. We want hope. And what's amazing is that in life, people will do what they can to find identity. We will go to our family tree. We will go to where our heritage comes from and we will look back at history. We'll look back at that and try and find a family tree that will give us some understanding to why we are the way we are, who we are the way we are. And it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing to know your family tree. But who knows that those things are not going to quench love. Come on, those things are not going to quench identity. You might have an understanding that, yep, so back in the day, my parents, my mum, she was on a boat from Ireland, came over. Okay, I I get that. I understand I have that quality, but at the same time, it doesn't give me identity. It doesn't give me true identity. It doesn't give me hope. It doesn't doesn't do that. It means I should like a drink that you actually probably more chew on than you do drink. Like, so it gives you these weaving ways back, but at the same time, it doesn't answer what the human heart is crying for what we all long for. And I'd love you to hear Talia's story as she shares about how she understands some of her family history, but it wasn't that which gave her true identity. I was born here in Australia on the Gold Coast, um, but I have quite a wide, varied cultural background. From my mum's side, I'm Aboriginal, Sri Lankan and South Sea Islander. And from my dad's side, I'm English, Irish and Swedish. But neither of them grew up in a Christian household. My mum didn't grow up with any religion at all. And my dad grew up in a, a Catholic house. But when I was quite young, my parents made the decision to become Christians. And so I was blessed that I got to be brought up in a Christian family but it was something that I probably took for granted until I was finishing high school when I hit a bit of a a rocky path and 
I made a lot of bad decisions and kind of went through a journey where it was like a crossroads and I had to choose if, if I was going to make my own decision and take on that faith as my own um, and not just have it be my parents' faith. So I went through a lot of, a lot of decisions and, and I decided that I wanted to have Jesus in my life. And so I made that decision uh, when I was uh, attending the young adults ministry at my church. And, and from there, I've just learned that um, at times when I found that I'm not quite sure where my identities come from, I'm having such a mixture of cultures, it can be hard to, to know if you have that one identity and, and where that might lie. And for me, I've learned to find that in Jesus. And for me, that's been the ultimate identity. The church family has become like that family where it brings people together from all different cultures and you don't always agree or, or maybe get along but you're brought together by that shared connection and that shared love and so for me my identity it's, it's not being in one culture or who I am or what the world says I am but it's in that identity in Jesus. How good is that? What a beautiful story. So my question is not do you know your ancestry but do you know your author? Because if you know your author, then it doesn't actually matter if you know your ancestry at all, although that is a great thing and a blessing to have. For many people, they don't know where, who, how. But if you know the author, then you have identity. Come on, when you have identity, you have security. When you have security, you have a sense of hope. You have a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. You have a sense of knowing that this isn't an accident. Come on, I'm not forgotten. It's, it's not just by chance. No, no, I have actually been destined, which is just so awesome. See, I love what uh, the Bible says in John 14, um, verse 8. Now, it's talking about in John how Jesus was going to go. He's got this family, these friends, these disciples. He's got these family of people and He says, I'm going to go, but hear this, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. It's pretty awesome because that statement to me just jumped off the page as I was been preparing my heart. I will not leave you as orphans. What is an orphan? An orphan is somebody who is unprotected, a person who is somewhat fatherless, someone who, who doesn't know their ancestry, doesn't have someone that would say, you're mine, <laughs> you're mine. And this is this amazing thing that he says, I, I come to you. So it's not about you reaching up to me. No, I'm going to come to you wherever you are and I am going to adopt you. I am going to take you in and I will give you identity. I will give you ownership. I will give you purpose and I'll give you hope and I'll give you security. That's a good thing. Now I know for people in this room who go to church on a regular basis, you're thinking, this is great, Craig. I've heard it all before. Awesome. But no, do you know it? Do you know it? Do you know it? Come on, do you really know it core inside you? Do you live every day with that revelation? Come on, God has adopted me. Jesus has made a way. He came to me. I didn't have to work to Him. No, He came to me and He brought me in. And, and He caused there to be a security in my heart. He caused there to be a stillness in my life. So many people live without peace. So many people live without understanding of knowing that they're not a mistake, that they're not here by chance, that it's not just a few years. And what happens next? I don't know. No, there's great understanding and security and knowing that you're His. What's awesome about this is that later in the book of, of Galatians, it talks about how there was a time where the message of God, the love of God was somewhat limited or isolated to a certain group of people, the Israelites or the Jews, God's people. And then Jesus comes and He, 
He comes and he just says, no, it's not about a selected few. It's about the opportunity for inclusion and, 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 and everybody, everybody. Doesn't matter what walk of life. Doesn't even matter if they start out believing a different God. That's not the point. Every person, every single person I love, every single person I see. And I was thinking about this amazing reality and, and I was thinking about how in Psalm 139, if you know the Bible a little bit, you would have heard of this verse. It's so, so powerful as the um, psalmist David, he writes about um, this, this understanding of God's love and God's ownership of who He is, this, this sense of adoption. And so I want to walk through Psalm 139 with you. And then we're going to um, hear of another great, great moment, how God crosses divides to get to His kids. Psalm 139, if you have your Bibles, go there because we're going to be going down quite a lot. It'll be on the screen as well for those who don't have a Bible, that's cool. But oh Lord, you have searched me. Come on, you're not just one of a crowd, you've searched me. You, the, that word searched actually means you've actually dived into my life, you've researched, it's, it, you've actually been in the nitty gritty <laughs> and you know me. Come on, you know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and also my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and also you go before. You've actually laid your hand on my life. Come on, do you have that revelation? I'm praying that God's presence today would make that fresh for you regardless of how long you've known God personally, do you know His hand that is on your life? And then it goes and says this in verse 7. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Come on, if I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my beds in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far sides of the sea, even there, your hand, it's going to guide me. Your right hand will uphold me fast. For surely I will say, darkness will hide me and the light will become night around me. But no, even the darkness will not be dark to you. For the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. See, I told you before that there's actually nothing, the Bible says nothing that can separate us from this sense of ownership, this sense of love that He has for us, this, this longing to do life with us. You see, it doesn't, again, matter. Maybe you've walked into this room and you've been invited by a friend or you found an invitation somewhere and you thought you'd check out a cultural thing where they're going to have cultural food and it's going to be great. Yes, it's great. But I want you to know that it's not about being a part of a certain religion before God accepts you and He loves you. No, He loves you. He seeks you out. His hand is on your life. He wants to lead you and He wants to guide you that you would know His fullness. Check out this amazing story as Nigel encountered God for himself. I was born and raised in Malaysia into a family that believes in Buddhism. For 20 years of my life, I've accepted and walked through this religion without quite understanding what it is believing about. And I was chosen as a disciple in the temple. And as a disciple in the temple, I was regarded as a senior member. All I knew is that I got what I wanted and I was chasing after um, success and money. I was also very drawn into music because my parents put me through piano classes since the age of four. I also remember that I had a couple of friends that kept introducing me to Christian music from school. And I remember playing through this music at home where they sung about the name of Jesus and there's an idol just being worshipped two doors down the hall. 
I don't know why I was confused, but I loved it. Fast forward, I moved to New Zealand to further my studies. I met a friend in the student accommodation that kept inviting me to church, and I reluctantly say yes, and I find myself at life somehow, but I silently enjoy the atmosphere that I was into, and I really felt at home once I walked into life. I decided to get to know a bit more about this Jesus that everyone sang about in church, and I, I went on the course for new Christians, and in that course, I felt God pulling my heartstrings, saying that you need to do this and you need to trust me. And I was reluctant to do it because I was worried about the repercussions that I might face following that decision. And so at the end, I, after God kept saying, trust me, trust me, and I said yes, and I've accepted God there and then in the class. Shortly after I said yes, I made the decision to get baptized, and my family found out what I've done. and. It really impacted my relationship with them. However, 10 years later, God is so faithful and I see Him put through our relationship into a path of reconciliation. But that friend of mine that invited me to church is now my wife and we have a beautiful six-month-old daughter. I'm thankful for what God has done in our life and that I get to lead this change with my family with a sense of purpose fixed into eternity. Amazing. so powerful you'd say well how far can you get to be an elder in a temple where people are somewhat worshipping you isn't that what we want don't we want power don't we want sense of uh, people falling at our feet isn't that what the world says now you've made it you've got this money no no because we realise that was never our purpose you were never created to be worshipped you were created to worship you were never created to be served we were created to serve and this is this amazing dynamic that God says, come on, there's nothing that separates. There's nothing that crosses this that says, I can't and I won't enable even the darkest of times to be filled with my presence. Come on, doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter how much you may feel like you've removed yourself. God hasn't removed himself. Come on, it doesn't matter what you're going through at the moment that you feel like, well, God wouldn't want to be a part. Maybe he might not like the thing you're doing, but I'm telling you, he still loves you with all of his life. Maybe you've been in a position where you don't know the love of God. I want to tell you that the God... Who loved Nigel, the God who loved Talia, the God who loves hundreds of people in this room. He loves you. See, the scripture goes on to say, for you created my innermost being. You're the one actually who knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I thought about that and I thought, how amazing is our God that it's not based on theory. He's based on works. So you can actually know the goodness of God in your life because of the works that He does in your life. Come on, because of the changes that He does in your world. Come on, when was the last time you felt God adjust something in your life? Come on, there's no point that we graduate from God working at our life. No, He wants to work in your life and His works that He wants to do, come on, are wonderful. Maybe it is that word for you, trust me. Come on, would you trust me? Come on, would you allow me to lead you? Would you allow me to do something within you? I know His works are wonderful. See, my frame, actually, it was not hidden from you. When I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. And all the days ordained for me were actually written in your book. Come on, all your days were written in his book. Before one of them could come to be, how precious now, God, are your thoughts to me. How vast the sum of them. If I were to count them, hear this, they would outnumber the grains of sand. 
So much is our God that He thinks about us. So much is our God that He loves us. So much is our Saviour. Come on, that He just is obsessed with us. Like He's obsessed with you. He just longs to pour out His goodness into your life. And then it says, when I wake, I'm still with you. Every time I read that, it just gives me a little kick, you know, like gets me just like, this isn't a daydream. This isn't a church service moment. No, when I wake, when I go out, when I back into my family environment, back into my work environment, back into the high school environment, when I wake, no, no, his thoughts are still forward me. Come on, when I wake, his presence is still beside me. And maybe you've grown up in an environment where you don't know what love really is. You've never heard it. You've never heard it expressed over your life. You've never felt the warmth of His presence. You've never known a family to belong in. I want to tell you that God is not too distant this morning that you would know it for yourself. Come on, that you would know His grace and that you would know His love. And I want you to check out Rita's story as you contemplate. Do you know this love? Do you know a love that changes everything? I grew up in an Italian family. I was the middle child. I grew up in a family that didn't say the words, I love you, because it was a sign of weakness. Um, I understood at a very young age that my father's family never accepted my mother. So that was, um, did cause a lot of unhappiness in my childhood. Um, Growing up, I saw God as a judge. Um, everything was quite performance-based because I also went to a Catholic school so you're always, they used to take us for confession so you kind of grew up thinking that um, you know, you have to six Hail Marys for dropping papers you know, that type of thing Um, and also my mum, you know, just at home like I guess if we did things wrong she would say to me sometimes she would pull me aside and quite seriously say, you know, we've just had enough of you doing this you know, I've talked to Dad, you know, we're going to give you away. So she would do that um, from time to time. Um, as I went into my uh, teenage years, I got quite rebellious and angry. I was angry towards my parents. I was angry at the fact that they were strict. I didn't really have a social life. So when I did get out, you know, to a party, you know, things that I lied so much just to get to, I just did it all. I did whatever I wanted to do. I didn't think about the consequences um, because I didn't know when I was going to get out again and it was my outlet for happiness. Um, After that, I became, as I got a bit older, I became a hairdresser and I had a very empty love tank. Uh, I remember a guy coming into my hairdressing salon who was different. I I knew him and he was a bit of a playboy. And this day he walked in, he looked so different. And I was like, what have you done? Something's you look lighter and he told me that he had found Jesus and invited me to church and I went to church I heard the preacher I thought he was talking to me it was like somebody had told him about my life Um, at the end of the preaching I went up to the altar I responded to the altar call and I just wept before God and and repented for my sin and I just felt like hot oil was poured all over my body and I encountered the love of God as opposed to the religion that I had always known. I actually had an encounter with love himself. It was so moving. So it was amazing. So awesome. How amazing. I don't know what love is. I've never been shown what love is. You've got a God who loves you. And in a moment, he just wants to pour his love upon your life if you've got the heart that's open to receive it. I think so many of us live in that same perspective that if 
we do something wrong, then maybe God will shun Himself from us. Could I say it's the complete opposite? I feel really impressioned this morning just to say, there's people here and you felt like you disappoint God or continually, continually, continually. Now, no doubt our lives, like I said earlier, do things that maybe we know that God doesn't approve of, but you've got to hear it. You haven't got a disappointed God towards you. You've got a God who greatly loves you. You've got a God whose heart is for you. You've got a God who longs to help you. He's just looking for that moment that we would let and allow Him to have that trust control where He can lead us, where He desires to lead us. There is nothing that we can do too bad. There's nothing we can do too wrong. Our lifestyle can't scare Him off. There's no diversity of situation that can give and create a divide that God can't meet you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.